Welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm, I'm enthusiastic. Well, I'm, enth- I'm enthusiastic in a different way today. From a culinary, is that even a fair way to start? Perspective, I hold in my hand a chocolate bar um, from Goldie, and I have on the line, sitting in front of me on my, on my, on my screen here, Miss Amy Horn, the founder of, uh, is it Goldie's Chocolate? No, it's Goldie Craft Chocolate. Goldie Craft Chocolate. Thank you. Sorry. Thanks for correcting me. <laughs> Amy, welcome point. to the show. Thanks for coming on. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you're, are you, are you, oh, okay, you're a small business owner, you're an artisan, you're all this, are you a, choc- a chocolatier? A cho- what, what do you call a person who makes chocolate? Uh, a person that makes chocolate is a chocolate maker. Um, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's a little different than chocolatier. A chocolatier is usually someone who takes a pre-made chocolate, melts it down, and turns that into truffles, bonbons, candy of various sorts. Um, a chocolate maker is a person who actually takes Beans, like cocoa beans, and uh, roast grinds, and turns the cocoa bean into chocolate. So a little different than a chocolatier, although I do do a lot of aspects of chocolatiering. Okay. Th- well, oh my God, I've already, I've already we've been talking for what like a minute and twenty seconds, and I've already learned that I didn't know anything, which is usually what happens on on, the, on this show. So how long have you been a chocolate maker? Thank you for collecting my lingo. <laughs> um. Well, actually, I mean, I okay. So I got into making. Chocolate, uh, probably around like 2007. Um, and that was sort of, um, I wasn't grinding beans, ob- obviously, at that point. I was more or less just doing what a lot of people do now in their kitchens, which is take cocoa butter and cocoa paste and melt it down and sweeten it with maple syrup and then put it in their fridge. And that's sort of like a form of chocolate. I call that fridge chocolate. Um, so I got into fridge chocolate. <laughs> and then I started realizing that, um, I was like, well, actually, how do I actually make real chocolate? And sort of researching it. Um, and, you know. <laughs> one, it, thing led to, one thing led to another. Of course. And, like, I found through that, like, I'd found sort of um, early bean-to-bar chocolate makers. Um, it was fairly still pretty small uh, at that point in time, but lots of lots of little companies popping up in the U.S. Um, and... So I just started looking at what they would post uh, in their blogs at that point in time. And it was just it was just fascinating. And I've always loved chocolate. So I thought I'm going to see if I can find a way to make it myself from the bean, like a real, real chocolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I found a, a course online, actually, in 2013. Um, brought, to you by, brought to you by Google. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It was a course uh, run by some people out of uh, Vancouver, which was interesting. Um, and at that point, um, sort of like countertop chocolate making wasn't like the equipment didn't really exist. So they were teaching this course, and it was basically to set up about like a medium or large size, you know, factory. Okay. And so I finished that course. I looked at the price of all these machines and said, I don't have $500,000, so this is never going to happen. So I just kind of tucked, tucked that dream away. And, uh, and then, then yeah, um, I had an opportunity um, with another company. to. They were looking for a chocolate maker, and I had that knowledge. So I did all the research development for their company and their production for a couple of years. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you took that course and what you'd learned and you're passionate about it. Yeah. And you and you did what what some might say is a smart entrepreneurial step is to go and learn somewhere else and spend some time in the, in someone else's trenches for a while. Yeah. You know, I don't want to say learn on their dime because that kind of sounds, you know, maybe not as favorable. But I, I think that's an that's an interesting path. So was that an amazing learning experience? Was it was it was all you dreamt to be and more or not? <laughs> oh yeah, this was like it was like the best job ever (laughs) for 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 like a little while it was the best job ever and um I don't know that I necessarily like they didn't teach me I showed up as the person that said I can do this for you because they didn't really know um what to do fully and I said oh I can do it and then I showed up and I went okay uh shit (laughs) I actually have to do it and so I did have to research a little bit but once that was going, um, I, I knew what I was doing and I created their product for them and continued sort of like did the research and development and then continued to do the production for them for a while. 
Was it was that and I, was that a little bit was it a fake it till you make it kind of story? It's I, I'm hearing hints of like absolutely, and then go home and read like crazy until you can figure it out. Actually, yeah, it was. Um, there was some moments where I, I kind of went like, "Can someone help me fix this machine?" And they're like, "We don't know." It's like, oh, I guess I have to call the manufacturer. I guess I have to research all of this. And I learned, I did learn a lot about machines. <laughs> Um, in that job because I had to repair them. I had to order parts. I had to do all sorts of things. So I learned about machines. Um, so yeah, so for that, like that kind of experience, I'm really grateful that uh, I did have uh, the ability to do it on someone else's dime. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so it was probably one of the first jobs ever that I was sort of like fully responsible for myself. Yeah. Interesting. I have so many guests on the show that, you know, ended up in the careers that they're in or, you know, I always joke, very few people I talk to said, yeah, I met my guidance counselor and they said when I was in grade whatever that I should pursue a career in chocolate making. Uh, I, you know, it's interesting to hear that you kind of stumbled into it out of a personal passion, but also got yeah. there and realized you had to figure out a whole bunny. Like it wasn't just about chocolate making. It was about production and the machines and dealing with vendors and suppliers. And it's just, I always find it so interesting what actually shows up when you start doing a role that no one even sets you up for, even when that was your intention to go there. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, chocolate making is probably like, like, of course, there's the time that you put into it, but when it boils down to it, it's kind of like mm, 20% of the job is actually making the chocolate. Maybe not even that. I would say probably, like, about 10% because there's so, like, actually, like, tempering and making a chocolate bar. There are so many things you have to do before that, and you have to know all the processes that lead up to it. So you have to know where to source your beans no, you know, it's to your benefit and it's mostly my interest knowing where those beans come from and like um, who grew them and like why it's important and how they grew it. Um, and then you have to roast, you have to get the samples of the beans, you have to roast them, find a roasting profile. So you have to learn how to roast. <laughs> okay. And that's a whole yeah, other I, art I, form. So, and you're, and you're sourcing beans from all over the world. Like this yeah. is, you're not, you're not sourcing any beans from North America, are we? Oh no, you can't. Um, there's no beans that grow in North America. Okay, I didn't. I didn't think so. Against my ignorance, I want to just like really to unpack this journey of of what it is to make what goes into this so easily obtained, you know, drug. Uh-huh. I guess you. I guess you might say de- delicacy yeah. that we can just go grab at any store. But very often we don't understand what goes into it. When you think about somebody making their own chocolate, it's like, oh yeah, you just whipped it up and it was just it just happened. But I, I've learned that very little just happens. <laughs> so much happens. Uh, to make that product. Um, chocolate grows 10 degrees north and 10 degrees south of the equator. So there's kind of like, there's a coffee belt, there's a yep. chocolate belt. They both grow in the same belt. <laughs> um, okay. So anywhere around the world uh, on the equator, you can basically grow chocolate. So uh, about 80 to 90% of the world's chocolate comes from Africa. Okay. Um, and the majority of that is um, grown in the Cote d'Ivoire, so the Ivory Coast. Um, and that that product was actually brought there. Um, chocolate cocoa is native to uh, South Central America. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> anyway, without getting too into it, um, most – okay, chocolate is traded like a commodity mm-hmm. on the commodities market, and about – 80% of the world's chocolate is, is sort of considered like a bulk chocolate, okay? It's traded. The cocoa that I'm using is grown for its flavor. Um, it's So, therefore, it's considered like a fine flavor or like a premium chocolate. Okay. So, yeah. So, you could go in so many different directions from this information. But bringing it back to like what I do, I have a couple of different origins that I like to work with. I like to have different flavor profiles. So the chocolate bar that you have in your hands right there is more of like, um, it's more on the like chocolatey um, sort of flavor profile. Chocolate is a is a flavor in the flavor mm-hmm. wheel. Is it okay? Um, and and this one, how do I semoliki? Is that what the semoliki? Semoliki. Semoliki. Oh, Sam, it's an yeah. SEM. Semoliki Forest, Uganda. It's eighty percent dark. It's yeah. very flavorful and it's very 
Yeah, thank you for making it easy. It's very chocolate forward. <laughs> this is this is not a milk chocolate bar. This is yeah. not an easy this is not an easy drinking. This has got some oomph to it. This is a big bold red wine I'm drinking here. <laughs> it it does. And in and in terms of like um chocolate that I could could use, that one actually does make a really nice like 80% uh bar. So you can it's not so intensely flavored that at 80% it's like way overwhelming. Um, whereas the Mont Grande bean that I use, which is from Guatemala, that is so fruit forward that, um, it's better at about 70% because anything over that is going to be like so, so intense. And if you have them side by side, you'd think that the Mont Grande was like 90%. Okay. I, sh- I should have bought both is what you're, is what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You can try them side by side or you can, you can try any chocolate side by side and, and, and you'll, you'll learn something. Um, if you brought a lint bar into this, uh, you would immediately taste like vast differences. But if you just had your lint bar like all by itself, you might not mm-hmm. notice like or understand what the difference between the chocolate would be. Does that make sense? Interesting. And yeah, no, it absolutely does. And uh, lint is <laughs> lint is one of our go tos in, in our house, especially during COVID. There was the after dinner lint, uh, you know, tasting. And mm-hmm. I've always, I never didn't like chocolate, but it was just never part of my life. Through COVID, it's become more so. Do you find that? I'm just curious with the marketplace. Like so many things, ten years ago, you just got access to chocolate, and you know, there's the one friend who would go out of their way to find the niche product or the specialty, like wine, like food, like so many things. Is more this artisan style chocolate where, like, what you do? Is it growing in popularity? Are you seeing as oh, yeah. people become more? Yeah, I, I'm assuming yes. That's just like everything that is a little bit more niche, a little more specialty, a little bit more thought put into it. But then there's a consumer out there that really appreciates that. Yeah. So craft chocolate um, is sort of similar, like uh, similar to like craft coffee, craft beer, um, growing in popularity as people kind of go. Like, there's got to be something beyond this dairy milk bar. There's got to be something beyond Starbucks, you know? So that's kind of where craft chocolate comes in is to sort of meet that like desire for flavor for um, different like flavor experiences. And so, so anyway, literally, literally right, right in line with exactly everything you said, like as people are sourcing out unique coffees, the craft beer market, yeah. uh, you know, more people going and, and, and getting involved in wine tasting and just understanding what they're drinking and where things come from and yeah. all the differences. And that certainly seems like that's a trend that's across the board. And chocolate feels like it fits very nicely into that little mix, into that, that basket of goods, if you would say. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, the thing with the thing with craft chocolate, though, is that it's quite quite a production to scale so (laughs) yeah it's i think it's much easier to scale coffee um and probably beer too because well i'm not gonna get into that but (laughs) with chocolate uh it's (laughs) yeah i think you're kind of i think the people that make chocolate are kind of crazy and we would (laughs) we would all admit it because the things you have to learn how to do because you make this product that is actually so expensive to make and really like that chocolate bar that's in your hands. If I was to charge what it really should be worth in order to give me like a decent living, it would be a, like a, a living, a living wage. Okay. No, I appreciate that. It would be like a $15 bar, but people just won't do it. It won't do it. And, and, and this was to be transparent. I bought this in Calgary. This is where we're, where we're recording here. Just a few minutes from my house at Luke's Drug Mart. So if you're looking for a place that it's available, you can check that out. I'm assuming it's available from Bridgeline as well. And it was, a, it's an $11 bar, which yeah. again, I will be very transparent, got my attention. I'm like, Oh wow, this is going to be like, wow, I'm like, I'm making an investment here in this, mm-hmm. in this product mm-hmm. compared to, I don't know, you can get a lint, a lint bar at the store. You can get usually on sale, like two for five bucks or something. I don't even know, but it's so cheap. I don't even know what it was, but I definitely, this got my attention. And, and I'm saying that. And I'm like, part of it though also elevated the quality of the product. I'm like, oh, this is going to be extra good because I'm in, I'm investing, I'm investing in this, in this, like my expensive bottle of wine or, you know, or, or, or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people, uh, expensive chocolate, um, like craft chocolate, expensive chocolate, uh, is new. It's new to people. They mostly like, let's just say like the dairy milk bar that's in your hands is highly, um, it should be more expensive than it is, but the way that those those companies um, 
grow and obtain like their beans. Um, so many, uh, so many farmers in that stream of cocoa farming are, are making 50 cents a day. So it's, it's not, it's not where it should be. Like your dairy milk chocolate bar should be $8. Um, in order for those farmers to, to live like a, a, a decent life. Um, and so, so what you're paying for when you're giving that $11 is like a guarantee that there was no like child enslavement happening. Um, that the, the people that grew my chocolate have like a livable wage and uh, a quality of life that is much better than most chocolate farmers are making throughout the world. So interesting. So a, there's that. A and then there's also like all the high volume production, North, Amer- North American companies taking it, taking advantage of different aspects yeah. of the world and kind of leveraging in that. That's interesting. Is that a message that's out there? Like I'm just thinking about, again, now that you say it, it seems so obvious because we've heard about it in so many other sectors, but in chocolate, Again, it's always obvious once you hear it, but it's not something that I really considered prior to having this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is that something that – do you feel that consumers are more educated that I'm, I'm willing to invest that? Or is it more, like you said, the flavor experience, I guess? It's all – I'm a marketer, so what are the core value propositions <laughs> or what are you really looking for? I'm looking for taste. I'm looking for something unique. I don't want to buy that milk chocolate bar that I've been mm-hmm. you know, eating since I was a kid. Okay. Or is it also I want to make better choices with my, with my purchasing power? I mean, it's all of the above. Um, yeah, I guess like education, like uh, like educating my customer, I've known is going to be about 50% of my job. Um, so it's no like, <laughs> I, I'm very realistic that, yeah, I understand it's an $11 chocolate bar. Um, but when you look at it, people are willing to pay like $7 for a coffee uh, no, that's very true. If you play, if you start to put it into categories, yes. Yeah, and same with wine. Um, we're willing to spend so much money on wine, um, and so you have to kind of look at it through those lenses. Like you're willing to pay more for better, and that's what it is with craft chocolate. Um, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? No, it does. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm, I'm just I'm just always curious of like where the customer is on the journey of what they understand. Like you, just like you said, there's been a huge yeah, movement it, over the past few years by local craft and how the craft beer market has exploded in Alberta. And there's part of it I want difference, but I'm also happy that it's local. So I'm just, you know, just, I guess, stringing all those together, just wondering where chocolate is on that journey compared yeah. to beer, compared to wine, compared to coffee, like some of the other e- easy comparisons or even, you know, farm to fork and ethically sourced meat and sustainability in, in that those industries. Okay. I think that with, okay, so I wanted to add this. I think that like craft chocolate in Canada is still just so, so tiny. And okay. the education is, is coming, um, and people are starting to understand more and more. But I, and I think people know more than they do when they get it to, market, to like farmers markets and such. I'm still, I'm, I'm really hustling to, to educate people why, why like it's worth it to pay more for like sustainably harvested, ethically sourced you know, organic chocolate. It's also yes, like, I, I could see that. Also, like, I do want to point out that this is like a preservation of flavor. So, because, like, with chocolate, like, a lot of people aren't well versed in the tasting of chocolate. Like, they, a lot of people understand, like, what a dark roast coffee is and what a light roast coffee is, and they can taste the different flavors, but not everybody really cares with chocolate. And but when you finally start like tasting different craft chocolates, like it kind of ruins you. You you like <laughs> it's like you, once you drink good coffee or have good wine, you're like, oh, I understand now a little bit what the difference is here. Especially exactly. if you have someone that can guide you through the experience a little bit and tell you what to look for. Exactly. So slowly but surely, me like myself and like some other chocolate makers, we're getting there. Like we're reaching the people, and they're starting to experience it. And they're starting to know like that it's worth it's worth the price. Has COVID been, have you noticed any difference through COVID? And I, and the reason I ask is that food and the amount of people I know that are cooking, myself included, at home and going, okay, well, if I'm going to be cooking every night for dinner, I'm going to start to explore and I'm going to start to watch master classes on, from Thomas Keller on how to do better. And I'm just mm-hmm. curious, has chocolate seen a little bit of a, 
have we become more aware of like, well, if I'm going to have chocolate every day, I might as well start being a little more explorative. Has COVID had a positive impact? And maybe I'm reaching on that question. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's, hardly, that, 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 that's a fair answer. I have hardly talked to any of my customers. Um, I don't know. Uh, like the, the places, so my business sort of, I did surgery in my business full time in January 2020 and then only got to about four farmers markets and then we got shut down. So then COVID happened. Yeah. But then there was this big, like, big, like, um, push for local and people got really excited about supporting local companies. And, and I got, you know, I had some really amazing retailers like bring my product on and, and people got really excited about that. So I sort of, I gained in popularity um, and I was able to sort of start selling things and not just constantly be in debt. <laughs> things are good. Um, things have sort of changed and shifted again, and I don't really know what it looks like. Uh, I'm sure people are more excited about chocolate um, because during the pandemic, there was one show that hit Netflix and these, it was like, I can't remember what it was, but the actor that was running this show went to a chocolate maker in Iceland. And this is a company called Omnom. And Omnom exploded. And Omnom is on the shelf next to me. <laughs> and, oh, interesting. Okay. You know, and so we're like with with the with as other sort of craft chocolate raise goes up. There's, um, you know, there's a more awareness about other craft chocolate. So, yeah, it's as, as one company grows, we all kind of grow. Well, which is the old adage, it brings more attention to the whole category. And yeah. if you've got shelf space, you know, and I was at, and I just, I was at Luke's the other day to get some chocolate, to get your chocolate bar. And that whole section was kind of a new section for me. I'm oh. like, oh, there's many here. And there's like $14 ones and $11 ones. And I'm like, this is a whole nother world. But you're right. It took one product to kind of pull me there to search it. But when I was there, I was like, well, I'm going to start here. But I'm like, wow, there's a whole kind of little journey I can go on that literally I was not exposed to afterwards. So to hear about a company that you're sitting beside on the shelf, that's, that's really valuable for you that there's a, that they got a lot of that publicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there's a whole world for you to explore. And so next time I would suggest, <laughs> I would suggest you grab some other bars and then you set them out on your table. And you taste them all individually, and you'll taste different things. My wife is 100% on board with this strategy. She's not even listening right now, but if I tell her, (laughs) she's like, Tyler, I've been wanting to do that all along. I don't know why you've been been holding out. So you went full-time on this in 2020. Uh, Just Mm -hmm. curious, entrepreneur uh, in a very niche space, taking on a lot of risk. How was that? How was that experience? Like you're, you're, you're still here. You're still, you're still breathing. You're still functioning. (laughs) How was, how's the journey been over the last year and a half, especially right in the middle of COVID? Like talk about you know, one, two punch. <laughs> oh yeah. No, throw in uh pregnancy and like a death as well. Uh, it's been bonkers. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's, I didn't really have a choice. So, um, like I, I left my other job in January and it was kind of either like sink or swim, like, I, I sort of looked at it like, oh, I have this awesome opportunity to just throw myself into my business and I don't have farmer's markets to go to, which is kind of great because I can just totally focus on getting done the things that I wanted to get done, which was, you know, packaging and like new new bars and and like different sort of seasonal flavors and um, hiring someone. So I could kind of just focus on that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. COVID was sort of like a, a blessing uh, of time. Um, and I really wanted to make the most of that time. And how was the transition going from originally starting with farmer's markets to, you know, now when I go to where to buy, you're in stores all across, all across Calgary. I'm just scrolling down the list here. <laughs> it's, Calgary, it's not even Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even up to date. I need to update that because I'm in more places now. Um, 
Sorry, what was your Excellent. question? Excellent. Well, well, yeah, no. How how is it getting into retail? Because I know that can be challenging. I've talked to a lot of artisans. A friend of mine runs Buttermilk Waffles. My buddy Billy, my buddy Billy owns Village Ice Cream. They've done really well, but the early years was challenging to get it in front of people. So was it an easy? Like, did you just go out and pound the pavement? Uh, like, how did you transition from people just assume it shows up on the shelf and that was just the way it happens? That's not always the way it happens. <laughs> um, I've been really lucky. Okay. Hey, I appreciate a little luck in all this entrepreneurial <laughs> adventure. I was really lucky. Uh, I I sort of set out goals of who, like, where I wanted my chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm pretty particular because it has to be in a place where people are used to that kind of thing. Right. Like, like I've I've had people be like, "Oh, you should get this into co-op," and I'm like, you know. I would love to be in co-op, but there's no $11 chocolate bars in co-op. Yeah. There's a lot of like $3 chocolate bars and, and, and it's kind of like it, it makes sense to have my product in like a sort of more upscale retailer where people are used to finding like niche things and fine quality like products, you know? So I had a list of places I wanted Mm to go and I, I actually was approached by them. And so I got really lucky in a couple of those retailers. And oh, then a couple nice. more. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. A couple more I kind of like I, I sought out, but I'm not in that many retailers. I think I'm in probably like 10. Um, okay. But I've been sought out by at least half of them. And the other ones I kind of like, I set some samples and they said yes. So <laughs> it hasn't been too hard. Mind you, I need to be in more places. and. Yeah. Uh, always growth is growth is never ending. So interesting. So you had enough word of mouth and you got yourself out there from even yeah. being at the small. And and you, you and I talked about this online a little bit. What is the what is the artisan chocolate community like in Calgary? Is this a vibrant community? Do you guys are you able to kind of compare notes and help each other? Like, uh, you know, I'm assuming you're not you're not in a, a, you know, a, a solo in this, that there's other people that are involved based on the shelf that I saw at Luke's today. But I'm curious, how do you guys compare notes? Do you help each other? Is it com- is it like chocolate wars or is it no? Is it more collaborative? Oh, I think that um, so with a lot of sort of knowledge that that chocolate makers gain um a lot of it's really hard one like we have to research just we have to do our own research and our own trial and error and figuring out like what is going to work and what isn't for us um so within calgary (laughs) sorry within calgary i started listening to my kids scream (laughs) within calgary people don't really Chocolate makers kind of mind their own business. We're, we're friendly. Um, well, for the most part, we're friendly. There's one bad apple. But, oh, uh, okay. There always is. We won't, we won't give them any airtime at all. We'll we'll just, they, they, they know who they are. They know who they are. <laughs> um, but generally, all the other chocolate makers know of each other and are pretty friendly. And the chocolatiers in Calgary all know each other. And anyway, everyone seems to be pretty pretty supportive but we don't really ask questions for support for that kind of stuff i i tend to go to my friends that are like not my competition they're in other places in other states so yeah but at the same time there's not a lot of um we're we're pretty friendly with one another mostly because like we do a really similar thing and it would be to our detriment to you know say something rude or you know say something rude about their products because yeah, or them. Like, well, to your point earlier, together you're elevating. Like, your category is new. Your category yeah. is not necessarily known by everybody. So, the bigger the category, the faster the category grows, the better it is for everybody, right? The more it's kind of an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. Totally. Like, I don't think I could live personally. I couldn't live um, constantly thinking about competition. That that's not a motivator for me, and. Um, that just like strikes fear in my heart. Try to think about like who I'm competing against and what they're doing and what I should be doing. I mostly just kind of stay in my lane and I try to stick to like, I try to do in my business what, what I believe in and what I think is good. So I trust my own taste and I say like, I do things that I think are good. Um, and then I give that product out. So yeah, like 
just yeah, does that make sense? <laughs> it totally does. No, I appreciate it. It's, you 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 know not focus focusing on the in your opinion the right things versus going what's that other person doing over there and getting distracted and sometimes getting flustered and you know I know I've talked to other restaurateurs and people I know in town and they're like you know what you do what you do and you really respect them for doing what they do and if you always are distracted yeah. by what they're doing you really lose sight of what's important to you and that's yeah. when your brand falters or your quality starts to fail or you start you know, being inconsistent to what your guests are actually expecting from you because you've set a certain, like, when you come here, you can get this type of thing, but you start chasing the competition, they just run in circles. And, and I think in the restaurant and the food industry, right, flavors and, and tastes can be very fleeting. So it's easy, I think, to be distracted and to feel like, oh, shit, maybe I'm missing out on something. And I think you're right. That can be really toxic. Plus, it just drive you nuts. Like, it no, can just drive yourself crazy. <laughs> that's it 100%. I, I sort of approach this like a creative project. I have a... I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts, um, so this is kind of a bit of an art project for me, and I okay. always just wanted to, like, do it my way, <laughs> because, like I said before, this is such a, I think this is kind of a ridiculous business, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> like, it's so expensive, I make hardly any money, but I just love it, and I thought, like, you know, this could just go up in flames at any moment, so I'm just going to do it my way always, and I just want to make it something that I could be proud of, even if it completely fails. I I love your honesty and I love the I love the art project angle and doing it purely for passion. And I'm assuming you said you don't get to talk to your customers much. Do you have an avenue or do you get feedback? Do people give you comments on social media? Like you are like to feed people and to give people experiences, it is sometimes nice to get to get that feedback. And I find that like a lot of people like to share when they have a good experience? Do you get that interaction with your customers at all? Or is it just kind of like you said, this is what I believe and I put it out there. And as long as people keep buying them, then I guess they like them. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I feel like I need a little bit more one-on-one time with my customer. Um, for most part, like I, I'll hear people will DM me through Instagram and that's kind of it. Like uh, still, I'm still really small. Like my business is really small. So most of my one-on-one time with customers comes through Instagram now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like when I had those markets, it was really nice to hear the feedback um, and to have people come back, you know, purchase the product again. That was really cool. But yeah, for the most part, I'm I mostly just live on Instagram, my business. Do you foresee yourself getting in because like we are, I, it does feel like we're moving out of this lovely pandemic yeah. and moving to a point where things will open up. And do you see yourself back in the, in the, the farmer's markets? Like, is that an avenue that you see yourself like there's just lots of value there? There's a ton of value there um, because I can, you know, get that education into people. I can get the product yeah. in people's mouths. <laughs> That's really, um, yeah, super important. Um, I see myself probably being, in that position probably come fall fall winter that's the the busiest time for for chocolate and yeah i'll probably be in a farmer's market at that point i'm assuming leading up to the holidays is a big factor and just that everything everything around food and like sharing and entertaining and flavor that all just starts to to really grow that that time year i think winter maybe the cold weather plays a part as well (laughs) yeah christmas is basically it it's christmas people want to give chocolate for christmas that's yep. the most that's the busiest best time for everybody in chocolate and chocolate making. Um, Christmas production usually starts like Christmas planning starts like January 1st for most chocolate makers. Oh nice, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Christmas plan like production starts in July. Like it's it's nuts. Get 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 geared up. Well, hey, yeah. come on. With stocking stuffer, giving something to a friend, like I would argue that potentially an $11 chocolate bar back to just the sheer cost is got a higher perceived value when given at a gift than a kind of a throwaway chocolate bar that you got while you were standing in line at the 7-Eleven. Totally. Not the same in my opinion, not the same. <laughs> no, completely not. I, I really tried to, when I, when I worked with my designers, I really tried to make the packaging like pretty enough that you didn't have to wrap it. You could just give oh, it nice. away. Yeah. yeah, I just uh, posted it on social media because I was like, oh, excited about my guests. And, and uh, no, you're right. It is kind of a wrapping paper. That's a, that's a really nice, nice, way, nice way to put it. Um, so let's get down to the, the brass tacks here. If I'm new to ta- chocolate tasting, yeah. 
And I want to start to think about like, you know, a sommelier for chocolate. Is there a sommelier for chocolate? Is there, was that a, anyways, let's not go down that rabbit hole. What would you, what does someone look for to really start to understand the difference between a $2 chocolate bar and an $11 chocolate bar for the sake of like flavors and how would you educate the palate? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, there's no real, there's no wrong way to eat chocolate. So first and foremost, <laughs> let's start off with like permission. You're good. You're good. You're not doing it wrong. You're, you're, you're good. You're not doing it wrong. Um, I'm not, I'm not the chocolate police, okay? Like, I'm not the, okay. <laughs> the chocolate police. Um, sure, I would tell you to, like, take some time and, like, don't just, like, shove it in your mouth and swallow don't it. Don't just, don't, don't just hoover it. Take some time to enjoy the flavor. <laughs> yeah, take a, take a minute. Uh, think about, like, you know, the people that grew that thing. Like, it's, it's special. Um, but, yeah, like, so what normally people would suggest is that, like, you get a sort of variety of chocolate, and then you taste it uh, moving, like, so let's just say, like, so if you're going to do milk chocolates, you probably want to do those, like, separately, and then you could do dark chocolates together. So let's just say you went back to Luke's, and you got to yourself um, four different bars from four different makers, and they were like, let's just say 70% across the board, okay. but they're different origins, right? So you got like a Colombian and like a Guatemalan and maybe like a Ugandan. And you just would take a little piece out and you would just, you know, start. If there's all 70%, you would just try them all separately. You can drink some water between each one if you'd like. But let's say you got like a, like a 60% and then you all the way up to like a 90%. You would start with a 60 first and then 70 and then 80 and then 90. Because starting with the 90 is probably going to overwhelm your taste buds because it's going to be the most potent. So you start at the lowest percentage and move your way up. And then I would suggest if you're going to do milk chocolates, you do it after you've sort of done that because the milk proteins can kind of coat your mouth and like change change the way you taste. Oh, okay. So then you would sort of try your milk chocolates after you've given yourself a little time to rest from your dark chocolates. Um, or, like, you can just start with the lightest chocolate, start with your milk chocolate and move all the way up. There's no real right way. Um, mm -hmm. Chocolate is, like, for the most part, it's not snobby. There's a real – in craft chocolate, there's a real um, – spirit of like adventure and like open-mindedness and like fun it doesn't get into this real like hardcore like badass like you'll see it in coffee where they're like just before decaf yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, totally, yeah. that kind of stuff and we're like no this is like it's not it's not bro-y like that it's it's very like <laughs> it's very like i don't know what do you taste like, you can read the notes on the chocolate saying, this one tastes like raspberry. And if you don't taste raspberry, that's fine. Did you like it or did you not like it? That's <laughs> kind of what it boils down to. Which I do appreciate that. And a couple of things I heard. So just because it's 70% doesn't mean it's all going to – like, there's no universal. The, the region plays a huge part in it. Yes. Whether it's from South America, whether it's from Africa, yes. you're going to have different – so the 70% is your guidance of kind of the cat, the area you're in. But then you've got to really understand. And if you always like something from South America, will that be consistent? Or does it really then just depend on the producer? Because it is, it is a farmed product. I never want to forget that there's yes. a lot of variables in play. <laughs> Okay, so when it comes to flavor, there's so many different things that can impact the flavor. First and foremost, if it's a properly grown bean, that's going to impact the flavor. And then chocolate is fermented. So they ferment the chocolate, and that affects the flavor probably the most. You have to have a proper fermentation. And then you roast the chocolate, where you can do sort of a lighter roast, where you'll have like more like a fresh, fruity flavors. And then the sort of darker the roast you go, it kind of will get more like jammy or roasted kind of toasty flavors. So you can affect the flavor of a bean from the roast. Then there's other little processes that they can put things through, um, like the way that it's ground, how long it's ground. Um, that can kind of affect the flavor, but not nearly as much as your fermentation and your roast is going to affect flavor. Okay. So, yeah. And then, then there's the secret, though, is that, like, there's all this weird language in chocolate, like, 60% cocoa solids. Now, defining a cocoa solid is really tough. There's no industry standard set 
yet. I don't think. I think they're trying to figure out like what a cocoa solid is. But a cocoa solid could be cocoa butter. A cocoa butter usually doesn't taste very strongly. Like it'll it'll taste like chocolate, but it won't taste super strong. So your 90% chocolate can literally have 50% cocoa butter in it. And that 50% is considered a cocoa solid. So you're like, wow, this 90% tastes so mild. Well, yeah, because it's mostly just cocoa butter. Oh, so it's kind of stepped on. It's it's kind of watered down, if you will. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, there's so there's so many different things, and and I'm assuming there, there's a cost savings there when you do that. Like, let's get down to the yeah. brass tacks of of the cost of production. Okay, I'm I only assumed that was not to the benefit of the customer, but to the benefit of the manufacturer. <laughs> yes, so it's totally like there's so there's no hard fast rules in chocolate, really. Like, so many different makers do so many different things, and really like to sort of. There's not sort of really stringent rules um, that you have to follow. Like I think there is in other industries that are more developed in that way. Um, chocolate is still a little bit of Wild West. And so one person's 70% Montgrande, which is the, the Guatemalan bean I use, as opposed to someone else's 70% Montgrande could taste totally different depending on how they've handled the beans and how much cocoa butter they add and how much sugar they add. Totally like... <laughs> Interesting and curious. Yeah. Like chocolate's been around for a long time. This is not a new industry, is it? In the comparison to like a coffee or an alcohol or such as. And I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm asking. I'm 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 implying that, but maybe it's not true. Craft chocolate. It has. Oh, I can't quite remember um, when craft chocolate really started. Um, the first sort of considered craft chocolate was a company called Sharpenberger. They were from San Francisco, but they were bought by Hershey's, and then Hershey's dropped it after a while. But mm. craft chocolate is yeah, be, still be, best. Best to just push the competition under the under the carpet. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 yeah. How can we slow this march towards a different type of chocolate bar? I I, I appreciate Hershey's strategy there. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So it's. I don't know exactly when we could say craft chocolate started because mm. technically, I guess. It's been going on for ages with, you know, little, you know, Mexican drinking chocolate, say, you know, this person's farm would make take the cocoa beans and ferment them themselves. And then the ladies in the village would, you know, grind it and make it into like a drinking chocolate. Right. So. Like, sounds right. sounds delicious. So, no, there's so many. I, I, this is so interesting because I I love it because like so many industries until you kind of peel back a few layers, you have no idea like all the different nuances of it. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, and it's like it's getting exciting. I mean, as much as I'm bummed out that my chocolate farmer is no longer selling their beans anymore, they're they've decided to make their own chocolate bars. And so they're which, not, which which shows that yeah that kind of also validates that things are moving in a good direction like you know what I mean which is annoying for you but the reason they did that is because they saw bigger they saw opportunity yeah so I'm I'm stoked for them they're they're smart they're smart to do it <laughs> I mean I'm sad but also like I'm really happy that that folks in Guatemala are like getting a better quality of life because they figured out that they can get those margins. Yeah, not be at the not be at the single point of entry of the supply chain, but actually be able to control their destiny a little bit farther down the down the, down the chain of events. Yeah. So for you, just understanding the fermentation process, so would that does the fermentation process happen at the farmer, and then the roasting can yes. happen at the individual? Okay, the chocolate maker. So with okay, so let's talk about the bean that you have right there that that Guatemalan or sorry, no, that um that Ugandan. Uganda. Okay, so that's really cool. There's about how that chocolate is made or grown is it's about a thousand like a lot of really small holder farmers or just people that have a little plot of land that they have cocoa growing on. What they do is every Friday they bring their cocoa to this one spot and they are paid at that moment for like the cocoa pods that they bring. So they get cash on like cash in their hand at that moment, which is, Fantastic. That doesn't usually happen with cocoa. Usually farmers get paid for their harvest like six months after they've done it. So it's just, you know, just a little local economy. They bring their chocolate there. They're paid at that moment and then they go away. (laughs) So then that chocolate there is fermented 
and then dried by like the little organization that is the little cooperative that is that is sort of started it. Um, so yeah, that's a small holder uh, farm grown cocoa uh, that is going to have like a lot of diversity in the beans because it's all com- it's mm-hmm. coming from just the neighboring area, but it's all okay. the, the beans are all grown by several different people, about 52% of them are women. And yeah, so, so that the company, you know, ferments it. And the fermentation is really what turns um, a bean from a $1,000 ton bean to like an $8,000 per ton bean. Okay. So the quality is really so much in, in, you know, having properly, grown beans and then having properly fermented beans. If the fermentation is done really well, then that, that chocolate it can be fantastic and they'll get more money for that chocolate. Mm. I don't know if that answers your question. I like, I, no, it kind of does. Well, I, it's, but what I'm really hearing or like the marketer in me is like, how do you get that really cool, unique story across? Like you can't print it on a label. You have to communicate it to people, but right away, all of a sudden the perception of value and why I would invest you, you know, you had, you know, equal opportunities for women. You had local economy. You had farmers being treated with, I would say, a degree of respect versus selling to some, you know, large, potentially sometimes state run and they get paid six months later. And like a lot of things that I think really not only holds back developing nations, but from an agriculture perspective has held back, has held farmers at a certain level for a long time in a lot of different countries. That's a big story to tell that all of a sudden $11 yeah, seems like, like a great deal. <laughs> Yeah, so so that chocolate, like, what else is really cool about chocolate grown um, like this is that those little farmers, the people who own their little piece of land, they can grow other crops too. Like, in so chocolate um, can be intercropped, so they can take an existing piece of rainforest and just pluck a bunch of cocoa around. Interesting. Okay. Like they have to, they have to maintain the the. Uh, the bushes a little bit, but, or the trees, they have to maintain them a little bit, but also on that piece of land, they can grow bananas or breadfruit or mangoes or cashews. They can grow other crops. So let's say their cocoa crop kind of doesn't work out that year. They at least have other crops they can make cash from. So interesting. So it is a mon, it's not a mono cropping environment where, you know, you have to deforest or to kind of like wipe, wipe out a whole other group of species just to focus on a single one. Right. You can, there is a certain kind of bean that has been developed that it does well monocropped, but it, okay. it generally isn't used in the craft chocolate world because it doesn't taste like anything. Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, that does exist. Um, there are places they have sort of tried to monocrop cacao, but for the most part, cacao does better in an intercropped setting um, that just helps disease be maintained easier. Right. Uh, yeah, like all sorts of really cool benefits to having cacao be intercropped instead of monocropped. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. I just had a conversation on my other podcast yesterday with um, uh, – the head of UFA for Alberta talking about just agriculture and agri-food and just like what goes on in Alberta. And I've also had on this show, um, the woman who Colleen Biggs, who runs TK ranch talking about how much better beef does on true grassland environment yeah. and not in a monocropping environment and just talking about that. And so I'm just having, I, I, you know, you have multiple conversations and all converges, but had no idea that chocolate was that way where you can intermingle crops on a single plot of land, which is, that's, that's, you're kind of hedging while also kind of playing with nature a little more naturally. If I was doing my own interpretation from hearing what you said. Yeah. And like one of the cool things about like the, the rise of craft chocolate and like the, the um the market what's the word <laughs> I'm so not a business person <laughs> that's okay but just like the 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 popularity of craft chocolate and the popularity of um cacao is that there are so for example my Mont Grande uh farmers that I I love and adore they were farming rubber <laughs> and then so they've been able to turn they're like rubber. They've been sort of, they let go of rubber because they're decided they can make more money with, with chocolate. But mm-hmm. there's also places that people are able to maintain their cacao crop 
because it's a viable source of income, whereas they were threatened, like, you know, 10 years ago, they thought they were going to have to tear down their strip of land and plant soy. Mm. So in a way, cacao is a really cool crop because it can help with the maintenance of the rainforest. And with, like, with it being a priority um, crop, it can sort of give a make it so that the farmers don't have to give up their land and convert it to like just rubber or, or soy. Soy is a big one. Uh, which is, which is a, which is a pure model crop yes. setup. Like nothing else gets to participate. So now you deal with herbicides and pesticides and fertilization and all the things to maintain that. Yeah. Cause you're not replenishing the soil naturally on an annual basis. You're not, I grew up on a farm, like it's basics crop rotation. Yeah. And if you've got everything growing simultaneously, that gets to happen naturally. That's interesting. I had no idea that that was how cho- like specifically. So this movement towards craft chocolate and kind of a global flavor for it or people getting the taste for it also has a direct kind of tag along benefit to these emerging nations and some of the challenges they're dealing with from a, from a, from a poverty and just economic stability, but also solving a bit of the rainforest conversation and like stop deforesting the world kind of, kind of line. Yeah. So interesting. I mean, it's like a little part of it. I, yeah. It's a series of little parts that all add up at the end of the day. I just, I think it's really cool to unpack and work your way. We, we're so disconnected from the food we consume. Like we have no idea. Like, oh, the food comes from the store. No, it doesn't. No. That's just where you pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yep. And so much, and uh, oh, I, I do think that there's a lot to be said for the last year of people become more by local, and not that that wasn't a trend that wasn't already happening. I just people had more time on their hands, and they kind of recalibrated what mattered. I think in their in their life. So I choose to find the silver linings in COVID as much as I can, and I think that recalibration on what does actually matter to me is uh, was it definitely something I think we can take away on a positive side from the last 15 months. Totally, especially when you I don't know about you. But, like, I think I've cooked so much in the past year in a bit that, like, I am, I am like, craving something completely different, something completely new, like, just new flavors. Like, I, I want, like, different tomatoes. I want, I want, <laughs> I want, like, a world of flavor um, that I'm kind of just, like, that I'm, like, I'm really seeking that my, for myself. And that's kind of what chocolate can do is is can give you like a whole different like world of flavor. Um, and all, but everything that's sort of grown locally, like, you know, you can get like lemon thyme, and, you know, English thyme and all these different kinds of things that like you can't just like the grocery store only has one kind of thyme. But locally, you know, we have thyme, we have like all these heirloom varieties and it just can add so much more texture and like joy to 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 food and to eating. And I love it. Let's boil right down to what it comes to. We 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 can all use more joy. Never, no one's ever to say no. I'm full of joy. I don't need any more. I'm all filled up. <laughs> yeah, like chocolate is about pleasure, is it not? Like. Absolutely. Yes. I don't think there's anyone listening that's going to argue with your, with, with that statement. Finally, we said it. We could have just started with that and then, okay, well, that's, that's why I do what I do. No, bringing joy, bringing pleasure. No, I really love your passion for it and also the understanding of just all the different layers behind it of why it costs what it costs, but why that's okay and why we need to celebrate that we're willing to invest a little bit more to get a little bit more. And the feeling of knowing and like, to be honest, like the bottle of wine sometimes, the story you tell, where you bought it, who you drank it with, those are so many things that can influence that talking about chocolate and where it comes from and that ecosystem and how positive that is versus potentially negative. I don't know. I think it makes it taste better. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like there's, there's should be like, I hope that there's memories attached, attached to chocolate. Like, I mean, I have memories attached to, to wine and all sorts of different. I have some, I have some blurry memories attached <laughs> to wine too, but yeah, absolutely. They started off strong and I was like, yeah, I think it was a good time. So, <laughs> Hey, now back to the, the entrepreneur in you, yeah. this is a tough business. I think you, you self, self-proclaimed crazy to work in it or, 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 or I'm not sure. I don't want to name names. I don't, I don't want to point fingers, but where does it go from here? What does this business look like? You're clearly passionate about it. Your passion is like coming through in space, which is so exciting, <laughs> but where, where does it go? What's, what's next steps for, for Amy and Goldie? Okay. Well, Wow. I think, I think for me, um, I've always kind of wanted to keep my business small. Um, scaling with chocolate will, will, you know, um, will produce more chocolate, but also 
but it might not produce more money for the for the people who run it. I think, uh, yeah. So I'm just honestly, I'm trying to scale to a point where I can support myself um, and possibly a couple of other people, and that's kind of it. Um, I don't have grand ideas for large factories. Um, I'm not really thinking about selling my business. Uh, I just kind of want to make it something that's sustainable for me and and my family and for maybe a couple of other people. I, I really appreciate your honesty around that sometimes in business and I play in that space and it's like, well, okay, you're growing it to sell. It's an exit. What's your growth strategy? What's your year over year percentages? And sometimes it's okay to do it just because you love it. And I, and I love that, like, and I heard sustainability show up so much. I want to build my own sustainable life and, and employ a couple other people and deliver an amazing product. And I think that's okay. I think we really get caught up into, you know, what we all see in the, in the news of, you know, companies, you know, quarterly reports and shareholder value. And, like, it's okay to not live in that space and to do something just because you actually love to do it. And, but be able to create a sustainable, like, a livable, like, you know, create your own job and create your own source of, of joy. Totally. That's. That's what I'm after. Um, it's hard. It's kind of a little hard to discuss uh, business in Calgary with some people because they're sort of like expecting that like you want to like yep. scale and, you know, sell and take and take capital and, you know, but yeah, I'm not I'm not particularly interested in that. I love your honesty and I, you really can get caught up in it. And it's sometimes, you know, there's the rat race shows up in many different ways. And I think the business owner rat race can also be like, if you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're not trying to sell and work yourself out of a job and you know, the, all those entrepreneur books, which I appreciate, but I love what you said earlier. This is an art project. This is my passion. Yeah. <laughs> I have a fine, I have a fine arts degree and I do this because it's my way of being create creative is what I'm, I'm hearing from you. Totally. And I've always sort of taken the perspective that I kind of just wanted the, the business to grow organically. Um, so it took a long time. Uh, it took me a long time to, since like 2017 uh, to kind mm-hmm. of get this to a point where I could sort of try to do it full time. <laughs> yep. uh, and that was hard because people are wanting like, what's going on with your business? Why isn't it doing anything? Why aren't you growing? Why aren't you, you know, here? Why aren't you there? <laughs> And that was really tough, like those first three years of just being like, I don't know, I'm just going to keep going in a way that feels sustainable for me and my energy where I'm at in my life. Um, so, yeah, so I built all of this on my own money. <laughs> uh, like, And, yeah, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm doing it. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. No, I, I, I love it. I love, I love your honesty, Amy. And when you had the first chat, I was like, well, this is going to be a good episode because you're willing to, <laughs> you're not, you're not, you're not painting out a shiny story. You're painting out, here's reality. This is tough, but I love it. And by the way, I really like this chocolate and I think people will enjoy it. And I get feedback every once in a while, which keeps me going. I'm good. Like, no, it is a very organic side of it. And, and, uh, you know, for me, I hope uh, on so many fronts, people hear your story and not only, get inspired to go out and try your chocolate and maybe branch out from the $3 chocolate bar. Uh, you know who you are. Um, but also to get inspired that there's so many ways, like there's so many versions of success. I think sometimes we get really trapped in thinking it's a certain version because that's what's been portrayed in Hollywood or what we read about in the newspaper or, what, or whatever, where, wherever it comes from. But man, there's a lot of versions of what success could look like. And I clearly sounds like you're on your path and it's not easy. Like there's nothing about what you said sounds like it's a cakewalk. <laughs> it sounds like a tough road. I mean, I, I question all a lot, like weekly, um, like what I'm doing and and if I want to keep going and and of course, like I I do, but there's like of course there's like a lot of doubt. I have a lot of doubt. Uh, but yeah, like it's it's not it's not perfect, but um, I don't know. Like I I I kind of told you before earlier, like I didn't really have a choice. And you, you, you kind of created the situation for yourself with this that gave you no choice. Like, I find that interesting. Yeah. Your no choice was also your choice to create no choice. Like, I had no choice, <laughs> but also I know for myself that, like, I was, like, I'm not a very great employee. I'll be perfectly <laughs> honest. Like, I, I get a job and I'm, like, gung-ho about it. And then I start, you know, questioning, like, well, why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And maybe you could do this. And maybe you could do that. And nobody wants, like, nobody wants that. 
Trump, like, uh, let's be honest. We we often say we do in the interview, but then when it shows up, you're like, "Can't you just do the thing I need you to do?" Exactly. And, and <laughs> speaking as an empl- as an employer, occasionally I've I've stumbled on that one on that landmine. Yeah, but I'm constantly just like, "You could do this better. You could do this better. You could do this better." And they like don't want to hear that. They just want me to do my job. And and so I kind of I, I admit like I was told by one of my last employers they were like, "You're not a great employee. You need to go run your own business." And yeah, I couldn't even like I wasn't offended. I was like, "You're right. Uh, I could do this better. <laughs> I'm gonna go do it myself." Um, but yeah, anyway, I just like it's better that I work for myself at this point in my life. I just I like I like doing it my way. <laughs> I am gathering. I had a friend tell me years ago, Tyler. You are you are unemployable, and it was the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Yeah, it's it's true. I would hundred percent say that I'm unemployable. I took it as a badge of honor, and I chose to uh, again embrace it because, well, arguably, I didn't have a choice anyways. I am unemployable whether I like it or not, and that's okay. And you're you're right. You and I joked earlier. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna drive off the road, I want to be in the driver's seat, not in the passenger seat. Going, hey, uh, why are you driving off the road? So at least then, when you run your own business, you make those decisions, and yeah, you bring teams on, you bring people around you. But ultimately, that is a that's I love how you're living that passion and kind of embrace the unemployable. Um, flat badge of honor in my opinion I, I i wear it as a badge of honor thank you yeah that's uh, no that's awesome and your passion comes through loud and clear Thanks. you know it's i saw i saw i saw something on a a friend of mine she had it on her fridge it was like it was she had she she didn't have teenagers anymore but the fridge magnet stayed it was something to the effect of quick teenagers move out while you still know everything it kind of feels that way as an employee sometimes you're like i could do this so much better you know what go for it <laughs> From both sides, I just had always laughed at that. Like, quick, move out before you realize you don't know everything or something to that effect or while you still know everything. And I think that that is the joy of business. You realize very quickly that, wow, maybe I don't have all the answers, but that's okay. I'm I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> yeah, like essentially like when you become a like, – in the business that I do, I have to know so many different things. And I'm learning things that like, I didn't even think I'd have to learn. Um. You know, you suddenly like a master of like I, I have to do my own marketing. I'm terrible at it. Like I hate it, but I I figured out how to do it. You know, and I took the course on like what I'm supposed to do on social media, <laughs> awesome. and like I learned QuickBooks, and I learned this program, and I learned Shopify, and I learned this, and I learned that, and I learned all these little things, and I feel like I like I have a lot of really cool skills now, um, but I don't know if there's like a yeah. All, all I'm saying is that like you have to learn everything when you're. No, you, you do. You get to wear many hats and you, and you have to, you know, you don't, you don't, you, it's impossible to be an expert on all of those things, but you just need to know them enough. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that it's an amazing learning. And like we live in an age of resourcefulness, adaptability, resilience. Those are the skills that allowed you to do all the things that you did in my, in my mind. Cause you're right. Like all that information is accessible at the click of a, a click of a Google or what, or whatever. <laughs> well, however you want to find it, it's, it's all out there. But the adaptability and the resilience to go, Okay, shit, I guess I got to learn marketing today. I don't really want to, but I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, like, uh, okay, shit, I'm doing it. <laughs> no, Amy, I love your honesty and I love so a little bit what's next is just to continue on the journey and evolve and continue to learn. I'm, here, I'm hearing that loud and clear. Um, if, if anybody, can, can we buy, and I, I apologize, I should have checked it out. Can I buy stuff right off your site? Do I have to go find a store or can I order it directly? Like, what are the different ways I can get your product? Let's get down to the brass tacks here. Yeah, so um, you can order my product on, online. Uh, I have a website. I can ship it to you. That's goldychocolate.com. I'm on it right now. Yeah, and also, but there's, uh, I'm available around town. Um, so I'm at the cookbook company. I'm at Luke's right now. I'm at, <sighs> like, Forage. Uh, you can order, like, so. Luke's East Village, Empire Provision, Sunnyside Natural Market. I'll help you out here. I'll read them <laughs> off your you. side. I know. <laughs> yeah, Blue Mountain, Biodynamic Farms, Stock, uh, Stock Market Grocery, Vancouver, All Day Breakfast, uh, East Coast. Riverview. Oh, you're in PEI. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah you, you, when you say East Coast, you meant it. Some people say East Coast and they don't mean all the way. <laughs> oh, so those, yeah, no, I, I love my PEI retailer. They're, they're awesome. Um, that's, that's fantastic. I'm also part of like a couple of things. So you can get my product through Blue Mountain Biodynamic. They do a, uh, they have an online shop and they sort of deliver your groceries. Uh, oh, okay, cool. For you there? I've never heard. I never heard of those guys. Yeah, and then I'm also part of uh, Be Local. There's a Be Local network, um, which is just a network of a whole bunch of small small businesses, usually with um, 
it's usually with like a greater purpose. So, I mean, mm-hmm. my, my product is, is all like, you know, sustainable and organic and all sorts of cool things. <laughs> and there's, there's a whole network of, of, of companies in Calgary that, um, have sort of like a, a larger sort of social impact, uh, motive. And yeah, so they're connected and we have uh, a website called like, at like the local, .com or something. Okay. I'm not entirely sure. BeLocal.com. No, I, I've, I've heard of BeLocal. I'm just uh, BeLocal. Yeah, so I'll check it out. I'm on there, and you can order you can order all sorts of good things. Uh, yeah, BeLocal be Calgary. So BeLocal.org. Be Thank you. <laughs> it's it's our store's one-year anniversary. Yeah, also I've heard about these guys. I'm happy send, someone's send, on, send me a link. on top of this because I – Hey, you know, it's teamwork. That's what, that's what It's teamwork to build it, to build the dream <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Well, I love that I can get this out. I love that I can tell your story. It was super fun talking <laughs> to you. Like you are so passionate and so in love with what you do and so aware about how crazy that is sometimes. I really appreciate that. Oh, thank the, you. The, 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 the willingness to be self-aware but the willingness to do it anyways, that's a, really, that's a gift. I, appreciate, I love it. <laughs> yeah, like I can honestly just like – talk your ear off about every single aspect of chocolate for hours and hours. So thank you for uh, your patience and my rambling responses. Not at all. No, I thought it was very informative. I see a YouTube channel in your future of like all the geeky, like the chocolate geek. I don't know. Go, go for it. Go the, the chocolate geek slash artist. I don't know. Like there's a, there's a few table top titles in there. I'm here. I'm sure. I'm sure that already exists. It, pro- it, pro- it probably does. So yeah, I'm just I guess, too busy um, to go figure it out, but <laughs> it's got to be there already. You, you got to have something on the list for next year. Like, what what do I want to learn? How to be a how to, maybe a TikTok star? Maybe quick. To, anyways, I'm not the Tyler. This all just sounds like you telling me to do more work. So right now I'm good. Thank you. I think TikTok <laughs> might be next, actually, honestly. But uh, yeah, we're just gonna focus on making some new flavors and figuring out uh, a new bean. Um, and that's kind of it. I set some small short-term goals and maybe make it through Christmas this year and then we'll uh, see what happens next year. Hey, I think none of us have a crystal ball. And as we come out of COVID, I think there's a whole new world waiting for us that, uh, there, and none of it's going to be the new, the, the, the old normal back again. That's what I know for sure. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's not, it's not what it was. <laughs> Thank goodness. Like I, I was ready for a change. <laughs> I could I could not agree with you. I was like, oh, I can't wait for it to go back to normal. I'm like, no, no. First of all, things don't work that way. Second of all, it was never as good as you're glamorizing in your mind now anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never, ever. No. Oh, remember when it was all great and easy and everything was perfect? I'm like, nope, nope, never. don't remember that. Nope. nope. These are new challenges. I'm excited for it. Amy, thanks for coming on the show. It was a blast chatting with you. Thanks for introducing me to a whole new way of thinking about chocolate and specifically to uh, Goldie's Craft Chocolate. It's fantastic. Thank you. You're too sweet, Tyler. You're welcome.